Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. And welcome to Mamma Mia Out Loud. It's what women are talking about. I am Holly Wainwright and I am back. Yeah, I you are. Back, 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 back. And I really am this time. Yeah. I just have to, a bit of context for regular listeners, is that I have had COVID over summer and I thought I was back two weeks ago and I came on the show and I was like, I'm back. And then I immediately fell in a heap and Mia, my friend and boss, although she hates when I say that, but was like, mate, you are not back. You are not better. Go away. The only back you are is back to bed. <laughs> yes. So she benched me. But then last week I was always going to be off because I'm on a book deadline, right? So it seems, I know that some Mount Louders have reached out and they've been so lovely. They've been like, oh my God, you must be so <laughs> sick. You've taken two weeks off. And I'm like, I know, I know, but it wasn't. But anyway, I really am back now. Feeling better. Thank you for holding space for me, as they say. Oh, we're so Who else is bad? Jesse My name's Jesse Stevens. Oh, you were back last week. I was yeah. back last week, but I was Forgot. laying in bed last night with this warmth in my stomach going, you don't have to host tomorrow. Yes, yeah, All the work. Same. Holly Wainwright can do all the work. She's excited to be back. I love having my, uh, just sitting in the back seat with oh. Holly as the driver, me up. I don't know, you're in the passenger seat it's or something. so good. I haven't even... You're in the boot. I, I'm Mia Friedman and this is the first time, not only are all three of us on the podcast for the first time in 2022, but we're all in the same room. Oh, mm. so good. There's no air con. We're in a little yeah. tiny room. We're, we're sweating. We're a bit of a sweat. Yep. We're Hot bonding flashes. over sweat. It is just so lovely to yeah. be back together. Every time Holly gets hot at all and has the tiniest sweat, Mia yells at her that she's having a hot flush, but it is just a really hot day. <laughs> Dude, and Holly's just warm. And that's okay. I'm like, well, is that a hot flush? Like, who knows? I'm just trying to normalise it. There could be so many Maya reasons. Holly. Anyway, <laughs> on today's show, the tantalising but quite problematic story doing the rounds about the movie star and the intern. And in defence of blowing up your life, a whole lot of people had a whole lot of opinions about Miranda from And Just Like That and Sex and the City leaving her husband. And we're talking about the realities of everyone else's thoughts about changing everything. But first, Jessie Stevens. I've been looking forward to talking to you two about this topic for the last week. I really need to know how I think about it and you guys are going to workshop it with me. Words you've probably seen over the last week. You've seen the word Spotify, Neil Young, Joni Mitchell, Brene Brown, Joe Rogan. All of these words are coming mm. up and you probably need a bit of a TikTok as to what is going on. Last week, the Canadian-American singer-songwriter Neil Young, he sung a song called Harvest Moon and Heart of Gold. When I listened to them, I did recognise them, yeah. but They're I very wouldn't famous. know the titles. He's a boomer icon. Yeah. Yeah. He's got a guitar and he's quite good at it. He tweeted about Spotify. They can have Rogan or they can have Young, not both. And he's referring to Joe Rogan's podcast called The Joe Rogan Experience, which 
Last year, I think it was, Spotify famously purchased for $100 million. And $100 million. $100 million. My God. And what it means is that it's exclusive to Spotify. It's the only place you can listen to it. And it was a brilliant tool because the Joe Rogan experience is the most listened to podcast in the world. And when you take people to Spotify, they're probably just going to listen to their other podcast there as well. So You, that you was... might be listening to this podcast on exactly. Spotify, full disclosure, of course. And we, we are the second largest podcast in the world, just under <laughs> Rogan. He... Fact check. <laughs> <laughs> Misinformation warning on that claim. This was a clear move on Spotify's part. And that's not the only podcast they've had an exclusive to. Another one is... Brene Brown has two, um, which is Unlocking Us and Dare to Lead. And this weekend, Brene Brown also took both her podcasts off the platform. Joni Mitchell said this weekend that irresponsible people are spreading lies that are costing people their lives. I stand in solidarity with Neil Young and the global scientific and medical communities on this issue. So now to the lies. Like, what are they actually protesting against? Joe Rogan on his podcast interviews a variety of people. But what really started all of this off was an interview that he did in December with a man named Dr. Robert Malone. Oh, he's a clown. Yes. He was a vaccine scientist who is now an Mm. anti-vaxxer. Joe Rogan had him on his podcast and on that episode he drew comparisons between COVID-19 vaccination in the US and the environment in Germany in the 1920s and 30s right before the Nazi party rose to power. Rogan, a bit of context around Robert Malone because I read a big thing, right? Tell me. Anti-vaxxers like to say, but he's a vaccine scientist. Yeah. He says he invented the mRNA, he, A number of people. No, well, he was part of a group of mm. people that contributed scientific research that led to this vaccine, but he's always said he wasn't properly credited <sighs> and he's got a real axe to grind. So yes. it's been suggested that he's trying to take down this vaccine because he doesn't feel that he got enough credit for helping to invent it. Problematic dude. Yes, and Rogan did an interview with him, made a lot of people very angry. Rogan, of course, got COVID last year. He took ivermectin, which has been discredited by universally really by experts and what was happening in the US at the time was that people were being hospitalized because they were taking large doses it was Mm. definitely problematic he's not vaxxed and he has said that young people do not need to get vaccinated against COVID if you're healthy you're all good which is not true anyway so then in January 270 experts scientists physicians professors doctors wrote an open letter to Spotify expressing concern over false and harmful assertions. They said that Rogan was broadcasting misinformation and specifically that episode with Dr Robert Malone. Now, interestingly, Twitter has banned Dr Robert Malone and YouTube took down Mm. the video. Spotify is the only one really that still has that going. So where to next? Basically what's happened is that there is now all this pressure on the likes of Taylor Swift, these massive artists, to take their stuff off Spotify so that Spotify loses more power. Just hours before we jumped into the studio, Spotify has agreed to put a little warning misinformation thing, similar to what you see on Instagram, Mm -hmm. at the beginning of episodes with Joe Rogan if there is, you know, anti-vax sentiment. But the big question is, is that a lot of pressure to put on an artist to then have to withdraw their music from this platform? Is it really Spotify's fault? And is this censorship? Holly, what do you reckon? 
Here's the thing. I think this is one of the biggest issues of our time, not just about Spotify, but when you roll in, you know, the Trump and Twitter ban, mm-hmm. who gets to be on YouTube, mm-hmm. should Pete Evans be on Instagram, like all of those things. You roll all that in together and one of the massive complicated issues we're wrestling with at the moment is who gets a platform and who doesn't and who gets to decide. And the thing is, is that I didn't used to ever listen to Joe Rogan because let's face it, I don't think his show is aimed at me. It's an <laughs> intensely masculine experience, that show. But Jesse and Stevens... And every episode goes for two and a half hours. Oh, lo- even longer. I tried to listen to one the other day. It was four hours. Anyway, <laughs> but Jesse Stevens, whose opinion I respect greatly, has often told me, like, you should listen. There's and so, a great few episodes. Yep, and so I have. And they're really interesting conversations. I spend a lot of my time shouting at him because yep. I listened to one that you told me to listen to recently, Jesse, that was the interview with Josh Zepps, who's, you know, an Australian journalist, really interesting guy, very smart, ABC. And it was fascinating. But to listen to that interview that was fascinating, I had to listen to a lot of Joe Rogan telling me that COVID isn't serious, that healthy people don't get it. that vaccine mandates are a step towards fascism. I had to listen to a lot of that, right? Mm -hmm. Now, I didn't really mind listening to that because I quite like my debates to be out in the open in the light where I can see them, right? I like to know what the other side, in inverted commas, is saying. I like to know what their positions and arguments are. But what shocked me about Joe Rogan that I didn't know because I was new to it is he sort of fact checks as he goes, right? So there's a producer in the room with him who, as we have in our room, right, Emma's sitting over there. Now, every now and again, we might one of us might say something that we might go, is that right? Oh, have I pronounced that right? Or did I get that right? And we might ask Emma and she might pause the recording for a minute and Google it and see. Now, what they do on Rogan is they do that as it goes. So there's a guy sitting in that room who's going... It's really interesting to listen to it people is. yell out keywords to type into Google, uh, not. No, it's, it's a really so terrible boring. experience. But for example, I tried to listen to an episode with him and Jordan Peterson the other day, who is another very controversial figure who Jesse Stevens is always telling me to listen to. And that's a four-hour long one. Anyway. Remember when Jesse was a communist? Yeah, what I know. Anyway, so... Jordan Peterson was ranting about how 7 million children die every year because of wood smoke inhalation, and that's a bigger problem than lots of other things. And Joe Rogan was going, 7 million children? That doesn't sound right. They put like they stopped the thing for a minute. The guy Googles and he goes, oh, 500,000 children, which is still a lot of children, but it's not 7 million. <laughs> yeah. And the kind of danger of giving a platform to these guys who think that their opinions are so important and so mm. spot on and not really actually having any rigour around it is really dangerous. So I'm conflicted. I want the opinions out in the air, and I don't like the idea of somebody, whoever it is, getting to decide who we do and don't get to listen to. On the other hand, a guy as powerful as Joe Rogan is lending credibility to all these people who are just spouting bullshit. What do you think, Mia? My problem is that I look at who it hurts. I'm all over the place with this because I didn't want Pete Evans to be on social anymore. Artists have the right to take their music off Spotify. Who does that hurt? Does it hurt Spotify? Not really. Does it hurt your fans? Absolutely, because it means they can't easily access your music. And my problem is if Spotify had a Spotify podcast where Spotify were, you know, under their own brand putting out all this information, then I get it. But are we now going to be boycotting everyone who does business with someone who has an opinion about something we don't agree with. That's really hard because 
if you start to say that, it's like, okay, so we saw this happen in Sydney with the Sydney Festival recently where mm. a big boycott was organised because one of the events was a performance by the Sydney Dance Company by an Israeli choreographer and the festival board had approached you know various people for sponsorship to help all sorts of artists make productions and the sponsor that they got for that was the Israeli embassy who put forward $20,000. Now, what happened is that there were some people who protested that there had been money given to that event. So they said they were withdrawing. And then a huge amount of pressure was put on a whole lot of other artists to also withdraw. And, you know, I know some people personally who were abused, who were pressured, who were threatened, who were bullied, who were trolled by people saying, if you do your show, you are endorsing mm. this political position by the sponsor of a show that has nothing to do with yours. And who loses and I, out is, is artists who, who are out. not making a whole lot of money yeah, at the moment exactly. in a COVID environment. So I can see that, I can look into the crystal ball and see that's what's about to happen. And artists like Taylor Swift and lots of artists are going to be put under a lot of pressure to withdraw. But then what happens? Then there's another podcast with someone saying something that you don't like on it, you remove it from Spotify, but you're on Apple and maybe mm-hmm. Apple have environmental policies that you don't like or, or the fact that they have workers in certain countries and their working conditions might not be good enough. And I'm not saying be naive or blind or ignorant or don't be worried about any of these other things and that social justice is pointless, but... Uh, I just think the onus shouldn't be on the artists. I think it should be on Spotify. But then then what happens next? Yeah, look, I agree and I support. I think that it shows a lot of integrity what people like Joni Mitchell and Neil Young are doing. However, I don't agree with it and Mamma Mia has podcasts on Spotify and yeah. I would not take those podcasts off no. Spotify. And the reason... I and it's not fair to say that that means we're endorsing Joe Rogan no. anti-vax stuff. Like that's We're just- not. In fact... Joe Rogan, and I think this is important, yes, he had Robert Malone on, but a month later he had Josh Zepps who fact-checked him and challenged him Mm. and went absolutely viral because he said, what you think about Australia isn't right and you're wrong about that and what you're saying about vaccines making people sick, actually COVID makes people... Like, he challenged him. Joe Rogan didn't have to have someone who disagreed with him on his podcast, but Mm. he chose to. And for that I had a little bit of respect for him. I don't agree with pretty much anything Joe Rogan says about COVID. However, science is about disagreement. People think that science is about everyone in the whole world believing the same thing. Science is about research, changing our opinions based on the research. If we live in a democracy during a global pandemic, I would hope people are having a few disagreements. He is the biggest podcast in the world. Whether he's on Spotify or not, he's going to have the biggest podcast in the world. Banning it or censoring it, I don't agree with. I love the idea of Spotify jumping on and going, just FYI, what the scientific consensus at the moment says is that you should get vaccinated. I agree with that. But I don't think that not allowing Joe Rogan a platform to have conversations that are contrary 
is healthy for a democracy. It also won't work because Joe Rogan is at the point now where if he gets kicked off Spotify, well, it would cost Spotify a lot of money. Let's put it that way. But also he would just go and be somewhere else, right? And he would have a big enough subscriber base. It doesn't matter where he is. He's still going to be that. The more interesting question really is why is Joe Rogan's podcast the biggest podcast in the world? Like why do so many people want to listen to this kind of discourse? And I think that's a really interesting question and although I agree with you Jesse that he does have people on who argue with him he's still like he just what he typifies this very macho my opinion matters I know better than everybody else voice that is so unhelpful in a moment like now I think what he also typifies is absolute independence what people like is that he is not tied to a news channel he is not gagged He's allowed to say what he thinks. And if this is the rise of independent media, then yes, there's going to be problems, but we need to fight that with more compelling fact-checked content. Hi, Mamma Mia Out Loud. It's Kate from Canberra. I love your work. On the discussion about the formidable Grace Payne, instead of saying that standing up to misogyny and power and abuse takes balls, which we know are weak and sensitive, how about we say that instead it takes some vagina? Because there's nothing more powerful, resilient, or purposeful than a vagina. Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move, and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. We need to talk about Jake Gyllenhaal. Well, allegedly. Jake Gyllenhaal. There was a personal essay, a very long personal essay, that will take you 36 minutes to read if you read quite fast. Mm-hmm. It was on Medium. And it's been doing the rounds in all of our group chats. It's called The Movie Star and Me. And it was actually published a few weeks ago by a young playwright and actor called Dominica Ferreau. Now, I should say, back to the allegedly, we don't know for sure if it's about Jake Gyllenhaal. It's but definitely about Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> Isn't it everything about Jake that. Gyllenhaal? <laughs> okay, yeah, it's so true. I have to say that <laughs> legally. But all signs point to him, Jesse, you are correct. Yes. Here's the story. You might remember Too Long Didn't Read version. Yep. TLDR. TLDR. Mm. Oh, it's taken me so long to learn what that means. I had to Google it. I'm embarrassed to say. It's a little bit like the Aziz Ansari mm. story that you might have remembered, which was another personal essay that was published by a website that no longer exists a few years ago about a young woman who had a date with Aziz Ansari. It didn't go the way she wanted it to go and she wrote this expose and he was subsequently cancelled. So this is a little bit in the same genre and Dominica is now 28. She was 23 when she was working with an unnamed actor on Broadway, Jack Gyllenhaal. <laughs> We know that she was an aspiring writer at the start of her career and it tells her story. Basically, she's told her story in first person. She was this eager to impress intern and there was this power dynamic where Jake arrived on set and he kind of took a shine to her Mm. and was flirting with her and was kind of making it known on set that he thought she was pretty. It said some inappropriate things, nothing graphic, but just made it very clear to everyone that 
he liked her. Mm. He was 35 at the time, I believe. She was 23. She was 23. So one of the telling lines in it was she says, he asked me if anything that he was doing or saying made her uncomfortable. Now, this is before they'd even had physical contact, but he asked if she was uncomfortable by any of the way he was talking to her. And she said, because I said no and reassured him that it was fine and welcome, I wonder if I've even got the right to write this essay. So Mm. at least she had that self-awareness. But basically the whole story, which is very long, culminates with a sexual encounter between the two of them eventually Mm. in which she ultimately says, I don't actually have sex with you because she's a virgin although she doesn't tell him that, he's like, fine about that. And then later she tells him that she was a virgin and he says he's glad that they didn't take things any further and he sort of stops contacting her Mm. shortly after. And the kicker was that eventually she learns from a friend that he apparently falls in love with these young interns and PAs on site, pursues them obsessively and then has some sort of freak out a month in and disappears. And that's exactly what happened. Is that also what happened with Taylor Swift? Am I correct? Yes, yeah. Taylor Swift. she was famous, but yes, exactly, mm. exactly. And he then disappeared and didn't turn up to her 21st birthday party and there was a scarf and it was all yes. a thing. Yeah. <laughs> and he yeah. keeps getting older, but his but lovers his stay lovers the same His lovers stay age. the same. Mm. And it seems true. So before I say what I thought of it, Jesse, you were the one that brought it to our attention. <laughs> I love that you say, What's you? before I say what I thought of it, I think it was pretty bloody clear what you <laughs> thought of it, Mia Friedman. Was it? <laughs> yes. Oh, I've got more. Go on, Jesse, what Look, did you think? There are some details you And then I want to know what Holly thinks because she and I we have agreed disagree to disagree about, about yep. the Aziz story. So I'm interested to know if we disagree about okay. this as well. So one thing I think is important to note is that all the women around her in the room, because they were her mentor and producers, almost sacrificed her, right? They were very happy for this young 23-year-old woman to be titillating and interesting to Jake Gyllenhaal and to use that to the production's advantage. And to make keep him happy. Yeah, so she Mm. was bait on the end of a fishing line to be like, play with this to keep you interested and Except she never told them that she was uncomfortable with it. And I no. understand why. I'm, I'm not blaming her for that. Mm. But I'm saying it could easily be thought, you know, it was Jake Gyllenhaal. She mm. was 23. She wasn't 16 or 17 or, or 18. He was 35. He wasn't 55 or 75. You know, that could be a thing. Yes. And the other interesting thing that I noted was the response of both, who I'm assuming is Maggie Gyllenhaal and their mother. Jake Gyllenhaal's mother, who both when they met this girl, he introduced her to them, there was clear disdain and contempt for her, which a lot of people are going them. And, yes, you can see it as a little bit unfair that they would be so cruel to a 23 and not overly cruel, just not bloody interested. Not that interested in having a long chat. With another 23-year-old. I've been there. Yes, and that's what I could see in that conversation was they were both looking at her going, we can't do this again. Tangent, I've had that. We ended up having to have an intervention with a a male friend of ours. We're, We're just like... We're not meeting another one. We're just not. No. We're just not doing it. Exactly. And And it's not fair on the woman. It's really not fair on the woman because it's not their fault. No, it's not their fault. But you could see that this was a pattern that they were getting really frustrated with. I also think that what it spoke to was the power of fame and how everyone in your life is saying 
this is the best thing that's ever happened. How exciting. This will make a great story. Because she was sleep telling her mother, her friends, would. they were like, this is amazing. It's going to be a Cinderella story. Yeah. She was having Zooms and updating them blow by blow and they were egging her on and it was like. Of course you would. And she has this great line about I was looking at him and everyone in the world is telling me this man is attractive, but why am I feeling repulsed? Like yeah. there's something, and even I can relate to that. Yeah. There's a man that everyone's kind of crazy about and you're looking at them going, Am I doing it for them or am I doing it for me? At points I was like, being a movie star is also to be objectified by everyone around you for the story and to be exploited by people who want the story. So in a way it was like these two figures who were using each other in very different ways with very different power dynamics. But she started the story by saying, I don't know how to tell this story. And I don't think she had an answer by the end. And I think perhaps she shouldn't have told it. I think she Ooh. should have because I have never slept with a movie star, but <laughs> I related to this. Like I just went, there is such truth in this. It was beautifully written. Why can't she tell her story? And in her defence, she didn't even name him. so She can totally <laughs> tell her story. I, the way I feel about this is that this is the modern kiss and tell, right? So mm. kiss and tells are a tale as old as time. Every tabloid yeah. newspaper and magazine in the world, like I slept with a movie star slash footballer slash politician slash prince. Let me tell you all about it because you want to know. And we do want to know, oh, right? Yeah. We yeah. really, really want to know. And I think that we should face up to our kind of baser instincts about that, is that getting a glimpse into what it's like to have Jake Gyllenhaal or, you know, insert other movie star name in that situation, woo you and take you on dates and want to sleep with you, we all want to know. And I think that there's... Now that kiss and tell has to be dressed up as some kind of activism in order for it to be an acceptable story to tell. Is it's like this is somehow part of the Me Too narrative? It's part of the culture. And also, and- Hole, you were around for that kiss and tell selling stories to the tabloids. The people who were like, I slept with Robbie Williams. I slept with, you know, Brad Pitt, whoever it was. It was like, yeah, I did that. Now. The narrative has completely flipped, which is the status is not in sleeping with a movie star, it's in being the victim of bad behaviour. Well, yes, but the thing is, is so my position is that I recognise it as a kiss and tell, dressed up as as a Me Too adjacent Mm. activism, but I actually fully support it. I agree with Jesse because I think, and this was exactly my point about the Aziz Ansari thing, is that... Now we, we're listening to the voices of these young women about how a lot of this stuff makes them feel icky. The behaviour of the movie star in this story <laughs> was not illegal, was not any of those things, but it is creepy, right? I'm sorry, creepy. it just is. It is creepy that a man who's 35 I is... I think it was embarrassing. It, I mean, he kept having naps on her shoulder exactly. like a toddler. It's like, embarrassing, what? but the thing is, is it's been indulged forever. It's been indulged since the beginning of time that powerful, handsome man gets to treat girl as plaything. She is flattered and might play along. But as you very well put at the beginning of this, Jesse, people were happy for it to happen because it keeps him happy. And it's like mm. it's almost like when you give a kid an iPad and you go, you go over there so I can talk to mummy, you know, like that kind of thing. And the thing is, is that behaviour has been indulged forever and no one has ever considered what it feels like to be the, that the girl on the other end of that. And now we're listening to some of these young women's stories. Now, mm. I'm conflicted about it because I didn't even make it to the end of this story because I was like, oh, my God, really? 35 minutes? I can't. <laughs> and I know what's going to happen. But it was beautiful. <laughs> Beautifully written and she has every right to tell that story and I don't have any problem with Jake Gyllenhaal's predilection for, you know, early 20s girls who he does seem to swap it 
in and out. I don't really have any problem with that being exposed. It does change the way I look at him, definitely does. Yeah, that's true. And I think it's fine for these women to tell these stories, but I also think we should kind of recognise one of the criticisms of Me Too has been, you know, what about other industries? What about other areas? And we're not as interested in reading stories about waitresses, teachers, you know, engineers in a all-male environment as we are about movie stars and interns. It's like we should face up to that kind of frankness what about it. What I read between the lines was that there is a type of man who doesn't feel powerful. It was interesting. In this, Jake Gyllenhaal didn't come across as a guy who felt particularly comfortable no, in this neurotic. environment. So he found... And he, sleepy. He looked around the room found the least powerful person which was this young girl and like asserted whatever little bit of power he had on her and we all know men like that and I think that's why it resonated and what this woman wanted to do was tell people the fallout because we don't see the kiss and tell used to be kiss full stop it didn't used to say and I'm still not all right like I'm still struggling with this because I was absolutely complicit in it. The part that I struggled with a little bit was when it got to consent and whether or not she did consent. Consent to me is incredibly grey sometimes. Mm. And in this, I think that once... Which she acknowledges in her piece. Yes, exactly. But if this is a story about, hey, this isn't worth it, then in fact, I thought yes, that, that I was the biggest takeaway for me. I 100% agree with that because the bit that we haven't touched on is that when this off-Broadway play that was re- reviewed very well then moved to Broadway, she was not invited in mm, her role of whatever yeah. it was to come with it because he'd finished his dalliance with you, yes, with her. Yes. So I think in that cautionary tale that every young girl thinks, oh, I'm going to be the one the that pretty woman him. that yep. he falls in love with and, and the movie star. And that narrative was being fed to her by her mother, by all her friends. And it doesn't end like that. Any guy that comes on that hard and like literally the day that he met her, he started love bombing her essentially. Mm. And that never ends well, like fast on, fast off. Mm. And it did have career implications for her. Yeah. The more stories like this we read yeah. and we tell, I think the better. Mother Mia out loud. Changing everything can be uncomfortable. Just ask Miranda Hobbs. Yes, I know she's not a real person, right? She but is Miranda, <laughs> yeah, she is, she is to me too. She's a character and Sex in the City now on just like that, of course. And her decision to leave her long, long relationship and marriage with Steve, the lovable bartender. Mm. I know you guys talked about this. People are losing their minds over this. I know it's crazy to pursue her passion with non-binary comedian Shay has got a lot of people very upset both on and off screen. Like on screen, so Charlotte, who obviously is Miranda's friend, was like, why do people have to change? Why can't people just stay the same? And on set, apparently, and we know this because we listen to a podcast that's all about behind the scenes, the writer's room, the crew and the team wore Team Miranda or Team Steve badges. And in a lovable detail, David Elgenberg, who plays Steve, wore a Team Miranda badge the whole time. Oh, I love that detail. Anyway, so there have been lots and lots of people getting very defensive about this character's apparent midlife crisis to blow up her life. And the thing is, this is quite relevant in our real lives, right? Because when you change everything, whether it is leaving a marriage or a job or you address something in your life that isn't working for you, maybe it's your relationship with alcohol, maybe it's where you live, whether or not to persist with fertility treatment, how to deal with a diagnosis, often it's the people around you who have all of the feelings about it. 
We are joined by Madeline West. She is the host of Mamma Mia's new podcast, Restart, which is about that. It's about changing everything. And we came up with this show, with Madeline, of course, around the idea of so many women in our lives getting to a point and going, this isn't working for me anymore. I need to press restart. Madeline, for you, it was your high profile, shiny long-term relationship with the father of your six kids. You decided to pull the pin and change everything. I want to know, how did you deal with everybody else's opinions about that big choice for you? When you make a big change, there's often a run-up. There's a runway. There's a whole phalanx of factors that come into play that push you towards either deciding I'm going to change everything or I'm going to just stay here and I'm going to stay safe and I'm doing the inverted commas with my fingers. I'm going to stay safe. And everyone will have an opinion. What I have come to realise and what I guess I've, I've always sensed but never put into effect is that everyone has an opinion. Opinions are a bit like buttholes. Some of them are more noisy and more offensive than others and, frankly, some of them shouldn't be aired in polite company. So I came to accept that, and it's a really hard thing to accept, that what others think about me is none of my business. That's got nothing to do with me. But what I think about myself and what I do with my life often affects what other people think about themselves. Yes, Mm. yes. When you make a change, when you challenge yourself, when you strive to better yourself, it holds up a mirror to other people's expectations of themselves. Mm. And if they're too scared to make that leap, they're going to have all the opinions in the world about you making the change. So I had to stop listening. And I understood that the people who were really invested in me, my true friends, I like to call them unicorns because they're rare and hard to find and some people would say they don't even exist, those ones that were truly invested in me would support me no matter what they did, no matter what I did, and that their first priority was ensuring that I was safe and not necessarily happy but that I was working towards making a life that fit me. You know, if you have a pair of pants, favourite pair of pants in your wardrobe and one day they don't fit you. you. You've got three options. That's you have them altered to fit you, you alter yourself to fit them, or you go and buy a new pair. But all of those things require change to make the situation work. Yet so many of us are walking around in lives that do not fit us. There are bits, things that make us happy and make us satisfied and give us joy, but there's a lot of components that don't align with who we thought we were. Like when you think, when you're starting out your life, you've got big dreams and big ambitions, but we're happy to let them go for this sense Mm. of safety. Particularly as women, there's a sense that women shouldn't disrupt the lives of those around them, whether it's their employer, their children, their partner. Um, And that's why women will often stay in lives that don't fit them anymore. Is that what you found through your podcast and the interviews that you've done? Absolutely, and especially the notion of purpose, like what is a person's purpose? And I've come to realise that your purpose should just be to create a life that fits you, to create an environment and do the things that actually align with what makes you feel like the best version of yourself. And that sounds highfalutin, but so many of us, so many women confuse our purpose with what others expect of us making sure the dinner's on the table at time and all the dishes are done and there's a clean house. And I, I just watched my beautiful mum at Christmas time flittering around the kitchen doing all the things until 11 o'clock at night and not being able to let down and just relax. And I said to her, 
there were two nights where I cooked the meal and did all the dishes. And I'm like, why? She's still flittering around the kitchen. And I said, why mm. are you doing that? Why can't you just sit? And she said, no, but I have to. I have to. I've got to do all these things to get everything done. And I said, why? And she stopped and went, well, because that's what everyone needs me to do. And I said, but what do you need to do? Don't you want to just sit down with us and have a conversation, have a glass of wine? Isn't that truer to what you want? But she mistook her purpose with being service to others. And I think we all do that. Can I ask, I look at your situation and how you left that relationship. That would have been, you know, disruptive to the six kids as well. And and I remember in my life when I've sort of hit a restart, when I've been in a relationship that isn't serving me and I've had to end it, the hardest thing is hurting the people you actually love because sometimes the person you're in a relationship with isn't a bad person. Blowing up your life might hurt your children or it might hurt your sister or whoever it is. How do you manage hurting or disrupting the lives of people that really, really matter to you? Is that hard? Of course it's hard. And I think guilt is a big component of separation. It's a huge component of restart. I've come to accept that there's no point having regrets when your MO, your modus operandi, is to be a better person. If your aim is to make the best of yourself, then that's going to have a positive impact on everything else in your life. And so I prefer to, to consider those actions as costs rather than regrets. And yes, members of my family were concerned and saying, what are you doing? You're stable, you're secure, you have this perfect life. And I understood that and I understood that they were looking out for me, but I was an actor in my own life. I was reading mm. off a script that I hadn't written and I've said it before in the podcast, I'd look in the mirror and just didn't recognise who I was anymore. And yes, I'm extremely aware of the cost that was worn by my children because kids just want a happy home. They just want mum and dad in the same place and to see them every day. I had to accept that giving my beautiful children who are my most precious position, that they're my magnum opus, a front row seat to watching me and their father destroy each other. That's not protecting them. That's not setting them up for a healthy life. That's not giving them a blueprint of what a relationship can be. There's necessary pain. There's necessary cost in order to create change. But the mum they see now, she still has her down days, but she's doing what lights her up. The only thing I wanted to ask about that, bringing it back to that idea of you know how often before a woman or any of us make a big decision, we workshop it with our friends, right? That's the most normal thing in the world is you're like, should I, shouldn't I? I mean, how long did you have to listen to me talk about move to the country? Like a very long time. A long time. Very, but also to that point, I was just thinking of you, this is why I'm such an advocate for therapy because when you workshop it with your friends, there are friends in your life who were advising you to not do it because of their own interest for their own interest exactly, they were going to lose right? you but a therapist for example is going to be impartial and so they don't bring any baggage that's the judgment you should listen to right because where, yeah. what's the line between all of the things we've just been talking about which is like at the end of the day only you can live your life and only you know the thing that's going to you know make you feel like you're not living a lie or mor- like Miranda isn't living a lie eating her ice cream on the couch with Steve every night when she's like I don't want to do this for another 30 years I don't want to do this for another 30 years but if you ask your friends, she asks her Charlotte, she asks whoever, they are like, but he's so lovely and that's so nice and that's so important. What's the line between workshopping and judgment? Yeah. Do you even ask people 
Madeline, anymore? Like, would you ask your friends, if you're going to make a big decision, is it worth actually not asking them, doing it, and then just telling them? I think there is definitely some credence in that because a lot of the friends that I was asked, reaching out to initially were living duplicates of my life same background, same education, same employment. And Mm. so therefore the notion of me completely disrupting that was anathema to everything they believed in because it made them question themselves. Mm. Some of them have since said, how'd you do it? Or they're my staunchest supporters now because they see that it's possible and that in itself gives them a sense of freedom. But Mm. one of my amazing interviewees on the divorce episode, which is up now, Helen Bond-Smith, said, you need to have a Spice Girls of Friends Like completely different friends from different walks of life who will give you something different to feed your well. And that is what I actively do now. My friendship group has never been stronger. And they're women from all sorts of different Mm. walks of life That because you don't want to lay all of your baggage on any one friend. It's too much. But I've Mm. got friends that I can go out with and party and we just have a great time. I've got friends that we sit across from each other and have a cup of tea and meditate and talk deeply about the meaning of life. I've got friends who've got kids the same age as mine, so Mm. we can talk about it from that aspect. I've got friends who are in happy marriages. I've got friends who are separated. I've got friends who are restarting. And so with that... When you ask all of them, you're getting a whole bunch of information from different perspectives because they all are united in their love for you. That is the information you need. That's Mm. the opinion you need. And to the one unilaterally, when everyone understands your circumstances, they are going to say hit restart. And not just that, once you've done it, show me how to do it too. Mm. Madeline, thank you so much. Restart, as you say, is live today. The first episode is about divorce, but the whole show isn't about divorce. The whole show is about different stuff. There are people who've changed jobs and people who've had health crises and people who've moved and all those things. It's perfect for women who, it's 2022, if Mm. you want to make a massive change in your life, then you're being guided by a woman who has made some bloody massive changes, Mm. who has been very brave and it is fascinating it is it is like a guidebook but it's also just a pervy look behind the curtain it's amazing thank you so much madeline can i just say thank you to all the women who have reached out to me since i've started promoting restart telling me their stories and the women who are on the other side saying i did it and the women who are thanking me because it's really hard cracking your life open but if we don't start having these conversations then this notion that women can do it all and have it all, this lie that we're fed is going to be perpetuated. We've got to have each other's backs. So thank you all for sharing your stories. I've got a recommendation before we go. In fact, I've got a few, but they'll be very fast. I am going to recommend very quickly the things that anyone who's listening to this show who has people in their lives who are either sick or isolating need right now and let's face it that's nearly everybody that we know some in your group chats will be like I'm sick I'm not and I had three of my friends in very different parts of my life all tested positive on Saturday so and we're doing a bonus episode for subscribers tomorrow about what did make me feel better and what I learned about rest and recovery after COVID but this is just very quickly about a few things that really lifted my spirits because one of the things that is everybody is struggling with in this time whether they are very sick not sick at all stuck at home stuck at home because their partner tested or the children is it's miserable like it just is it's miserable there there are little pockets of lightness in that a bit of togetherness simply blah blah but it's miserable anything you can do to make their lives a bit better so I put this list on my Instagram yesterday which is I'm Holly Wainwright on Instagram and I've saved it as a highlights but very quickly 
the most useful thing that somebody dropped on my doorstep was a packet of those Hydrolite lollipops. That's what everyone's sculling. Yes. Yeah. Right? So, you know. How hydro- do you scull a lollipop? Oh, I meant Hydrolite. But my yeah. Hydrolite. They yeah, all yeah. did. Or ice blocks. They yeah, come yeah, in all yeah, different yeah. things, they do. don't they? They come in icy poles, as we call them in our house. And somebody dropped those on my doorstep. And they were an absolute godsend for the fevers for the headaches, to pet me up a little bit, just give me a jolt of energy. It was lovely to receive little things like that. It was helpful. It's become such a cliche like dropping off a lasagna, but that kind of stuff was actually yeah. amazing. I had a good mm. friend of mine who was also struggling with COVID actually, but who lived nearby. She's a very good cook, so she <laughs> she was cooking. But, you know, dropping off pasta sauce, somebody offered to do my shopping, which was so helpful because obviously there was a period where all four of us were stuck at home and we could only mm. get so many things delivered and lots of fresh things went around. And little heart lifting stuff. Also, of course, I binge watched everything on the Mm. TV. Could you concentrate? Not really. So that's why it was good to watch really mindless things. And that's when I was in my sick period. When I was in like my aftermath, watching TV wasn't actually any good to me at all. So I also bought a lot of skincare. Yeah, that's good. (laughs) One of my absolute comfort behaviours. Yeah is to go and add to cart. I don't always purchase, but to go and add to cart in skincare things. And I bought, I fever bought a lot of vitamins that just turned up and I was like, well, I don't even remember buying (laughs) that. Did they make you feel better? (laughs) They made me feel like I was doing something towards getting better. There are a lot of schools of thought about like vitamin D and all these things. And I'm, you know, I'm not a medical, I'm not Joe Rogan. I can't tell you what to do. (laughs) For me, it made me feel like I was doing things towards getting better. But the kindness of strangers is remarkable, right? Mia sent me some rats. She's my language. love language. Yeah. Yep. People just messaging, sending me funny memes, Jesse telling me to listen to Joe Rogan episodes, <laughs> like all of those kind of things. Like a lovely, just don't forget your ISO friends because there are so many of them now and just drop them off a box of Neurofen and, and some icy poles. we're getting shitter. This is what my sister said, is that mm. my brothers got COVID very early on. The stuff that <laughs> arrived at their doorstep. Then Claire got it and she was like, you know, dad hasn't even called me. Like, where is she? It took so her, she got a care package from Mia before she got anything from Mum. <laughs> Mum was like, "Stay away from me. I have my holiday." But I feel as though our empathy is running out. But people still need care packages, which yeah, is they do. Moral of the story: Please jump in the Out Louders group and share what your what helped you through those kind of times. Binge watching shows, in movie series in order. Everybody's doing that. Oh. Harry Potter, the Marvels, all that stuff. Anyway, it's all saved on the Highlights Reel on my Instagram. Go and have a nosy. That is all we have time for today. Thank you for listening to this episode of Mom Mirror Out Loud. It was produced by Emma Gillespie and the executive producer is Eliza Ratliff. And if you're looking for something new to listen to, The Spill is back. It's been back for a couple of weeks now oh, with so Key and Laura. So much goss. Oh, my God. Thanks, So God. much celebrity goss. I was really interested in this story because I kind of missed it, but there's a really great episode where they dissect this little bit of beef between Damon Alburn, the Gen X pop star, and Taylor Swift oh, after yeah. he called out that she didn't write her songs and she was like, I think you'll find. Anyway, we're going to play you a little clip of that. Go listen to The Spill and we'll see you on Wednesday. Bye. 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 He names Ella Fitzgerald, another female singer, saying she's never written a song. And then the only woman that he can bring up that he says writes her own songs is Billie Eilish and her brother. Like, why can't you name a male artist that doesn't write his songs? Like, it just, it's obviously blatantly sexist. And for someone that's known so much to have written her songs, like, hello, did he miss a Netflix documentary last year? I think he did. Because you see her brilliance in action. 
she is a talented songwriter and musician and no one can take that away from her. He tried to, but he's probably just been cancelled. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. 